This, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Liv Ove. Part of Second Story's mission is to create a world driven by empathy. The idea is that empathy is a transformative way of seeing the world, one that allows us to understand the daily joys and pain of living others' lives, allows us to feel their broken bones and hearts. But the trick is that everyone hurts differently and in different degrees, and a paper cut hurts differently than a broken leg. Is there some amount of empathy that we can give, and how do we decide whose wounds are deserving? In a story about the depth of empathy, Second Story is proud to present LaTanya Lane. It was after dinner at Camp DeSoto, a Christian summer camp in Alabama for girls aged 8 to 16. Being 19, I was on the kitchen staff, a job I thought would be backbreaking, but mostly turned out to be setting table for 200 plus campers and cleaning one sixth of a kitchen floor. After a few weeks, I'd come to enjoy the rhythm of our daily tasks and the occasional ice cream bar I could grab after dinner. After I'd finished my responsibilities one Tuesday evening, I stepped outside and for a moment, let myself feel lucky. How was I possibly getting paid to do light work at a camp that smelled of earthy air with hints of pine? Tonight was one of our two nights off during our eight weeks at camp. Rather than head off site, I decided to stay and take advantage of having the communal phone all to myself. I called home and my 17 year old brother, still in the throes of his awkward and aloof teenage years, answered. Hi, baby brother. I'm so happy to hear your voice. Hey, he replied. How are you? How are things? Fine. Right. Is mom or dad around? Mom's in the hospital. This was news. If my family is going to a doctor, it's usually Dr. Jesus. <laughs> What's wrong? Doctors don't know. Did this happen today? She's been there for over a week. Over a week, but wait, wait, what about work? Who's working? Nobody right now, but don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. We stayed on the phone for a few more minutes before I accepted that that was all the conversation I was going to get. We hung up and I headed back to the kitchen staff cabin. I had so many questions and no one to ask. My mom being sick, that didn't really worry me. Her illness was new, but in my youth, I imagined she would just bounce back. But I knew something about missing work and the snowball of chaos that could create. My family experiences the kind of poverty that Atlantic articles are written about. Systemic, generational, seemingly impossible to escape. Being hospitalized was just the type of issue that could wreak havoc on my family. My mom doesn't get paid time off when she's sick, and hospitals are expensive, hence our regular appointments with Dr. Jesus. One of my main thoughts when I left home for college was that I was taking a paycheck with me. How would they make up the difference? And now, with mom sick, that's two paychecks missing. After that phone call, the worry curdled inside me. And when the rest of the kitchen staff came into the cabin later that night, 
I pretended to sleep rather than have to look at their happy, unworried faces. At staff devotions the next morning, the worry in my chest festered as I sat huddled next to the other camp staff on wooden benches so close to the floor, our knees were almost parallel to our chests. Surrounding me, the other women on staff chatted sleepily, but I mostly kept to myself. Devotions began, and after a reflection, staff were invited to share their joys and concerns. Technically, Joys and Concerns was a space for everyone to share their struggles and triumphs, but typically it became a space for camp counselors to lift up the struggles and triumphs of the campers. Pray for Emily. She still hasn't found a place where she belongs. Candace misses home and cries every night. Pray that she gets less homesick. I want to share a joy. Becky got to the top of the climbing wall the other day. She was so proud. This part of our morning routine had been an anchor for me, a way for me to find a connection between myself and these women who seemed so different than me in their seeming moneyedness and mostly whiteness. I thought connecting through our love of Jesusness could be enough. But today was different. The worry opened up what I'd been trying to bind all summer and confirmed what I'd feared. I didn't belong with these smiling, happy girls whose lives seemed so light. For them, working as kitchen staff meant something to do in the summer. For me, it meant free food and housing and an incredible $1,600 check. Leaving morning devotions, I felt the worry infect my sight. I felt blind to Becky's trouble with the climbing wall or Emily's challenge making friends. My heart bubbled with something that felt like hate and it troubled me. I'd worked with children my whole life. I knew they were anything but responsible for their positions in the world, but I had no room in my heart for their hurts or concerns. And why should I? I knew each of the girls' parents had spent $2,000 to send them here. As I left the kitchen staff cabin, I could only think mathematically. $2,000 equals four months' rent for my parents. I avoided looking at the climbing wall as I passed, not wanting to set eyes on kids who didn't even know how good they had it. Now look, I'm sure it's a little weird to be at a place like this having me tell you a story about how angry I was being a poor kid surrounded by rich kids. I'll admit, I think it's a little weird too. <laughs> but the rage that grew from my worry is one of the great divides in this country. And whether you sit on the have enough side or the not enough side, talking about money is usually soaked in shame. Clearly, figuring this out has to include making sure people have what they need to be okay, but maybe it's also figuring out how to talk about these things without the shame and hiding that have been at the heart of it. So, that rage is where I was when I went to visit Sue Henry. One of my responsibilities as a member of the kitchen staff was a weekly, hour-long visit with Sue, a septuagenarian who lived on the grounds. When it got warm, she pushed her twin bed out onto her covered porch and slept there every night until the chill returned. 
She'd worked at the camp in her early 20s and spent the next 60 years of her life dedicated to its success. She held a kind of camper emeritus position, doing what she preferred, and what she preferred was talking with the kitchen staff. This week, as I went to visit Sue, I tried to clear my head. Pines and cabins dotted either side of the path, the trees eventually taking over until suddenly I was in the middle of a tiny clearing, Sue's cabin right in the center. Sue was on the porch wearing white linen, her short white hair flying about in a breeze. Her face broke into an intricate network of wrinkles as she smiled and waved me towards her. I climbed the steps and moved to the side of the porch with rocking chairs. Let me get you some water, Sue said in a voice that creaked with age. I nodded and accepted the glass with a thank you. This was my fourth visit with Sue, and I'd come to know she and I had a hygiene gap when it came to dishwashing. <laughs> there were always floaties in the cup. I was sure the cups were washed, but they were definitely not clean. <laughs> However, she was an elder, and I would rather drink floaties than insult her hospitality. So I grabbed the glass of water and with a glob of something stuck on the side and drink quickly to lower the water line before the object had time to dislodge. <laughs> During our previous visits, we talked about what I hoped to get from my time at camp, what I was studying at school, values we shared like humility and hard work. This week, we spent a few minutes praising one another for being English majors when she shifted the conversation to what it meant to live a life of service and gratitude. Yeah, but the people who have things to be grateful for don't always know it, I'd said. What do you mean? And then it all came surging. The rage at seeing so much wealth being squandered on something like summer camp when my parents couldn't even make rent. Today, in joys and concerns, the counselors were talking about girls who couldn't make friends or who were still so homesick that they could complain about anything just galls me, I'd said. Be careful there, Tanya, Sue said. It's a hard thing to realize, but hear me when I say pain is pain. Even if it comes from a different place than yours, even if it's about something you don't understand, Pain is pain. Life would be really hard for you if you can't learn to accept that. The tears on my face were hot as I nodded. Pain is pain. It was hard to swallow, but accepting it loosened something in me. Sue put a wrinkled, veined hand on mine and patted. Other people's lives might look easy, I'm sure your life looks easy to some, but here you are, feeling big pain. Her empathy lanced the boil of worry that I had sat with since my conversation with my brother. And it's a lesson I still draw on. Because I wasn't wrong. That summer did signal the time my parents' financial situation began a breathtaking downward spiral. They eventually lost their house, and Sue eventually passed on surrounded by loved ones. And I 
am now at a point in my life where with a little planning, I could spend $2,000 to send my son to a summer camp. Me. And I have a hard time being a person whose life might look easy. Because as much as things have changed, it is never not complicated. But in those moments, I remind myself of that afternoon with Sue as she patted my hand and we rocked together in the pine-scented clearing. The afternoon, I began the work of recognizing my own hurts and letting that help me acknowledge others' pain. The work of learning that empathy doesn't only look down. This story was curated by Amanda Delheimer, directed by Lexi Saunders, and music and sound designed by the Salcedo Group. The Second Story podcast is produced by me, Liv Oath. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a city arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Liv Oath, and this This is the Second Second Story Podcast.